Moms Unscripted is a production of Mops International. If you'd like to find a group near you, go to mops.org forward slash group search. If you'd like to start a group, go to mops.org forward slash start a group. Hey friends, today we welcome a special guest and dear friend of ours to the Moms Unscripted table. We can't wait to share her story and her brand new book with you. Her life circumstances are just beyond extraordinary, but her human experiences are universal. You'll be so intrigued by her family, but you'll be inspired by the heart of their journey. And so let's meet our guest, our friend, Stacy Morgan. Stacy's always ready with a funny or thoughtful story from her own life. Oh my gosh, she makes me laugh so hard. Um, whether it be holding down the home front during special forces military deployments, working for the Smithsonian, skydiving, teaching her teens to drive, or taking roller skating lessons, or blasting her husband into outer space. A women's ministry leader for over 15 years, Stacy is an executive leadership coach for Mops International. Woohoo! And which is, <laughs> let me explain what Mops International is, a nonprofit focused on the unique needs of mothers around the world. Yes, <laughs> it is. <laughs> she and her husband have four children. Stacy, we have been looking forward to this one. I'm so excited to talk with you. <laughs> I'm glad you explained who I work for. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Let's just really get clear so, here. Right. For those two guys yeah. that are listening. Right. <laughs> yeah. If you stumbled into this podcast accidentally, right. like now you know. Now. <laughs> now <you> know. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One of my favorite things that we've discussed are all of the unusual jobs that you've had. Yes. So let's just let's just start by a real let's dip our toes into some of the unique things that you've done over the course of your life. Yeah. I so I think I've had a lot of really unique experiences because I say yes easily. Mm-hmm. And and I also Aww. am somewhat short-sighted in my life. So I have a very like no decision is forever kind of mindset. So while some people are like, "Oh, I don't want to take that job because, you know, it's not like forever or it's not going to take me here. I'm like, well, whatever, if it's fun for six months or whatever, (laughs) like that will be fun. And so, yeah, I've had a lot of crazy jobs, like starting even all the way back in high school. um, I've had some crazy like catering jobs where I'm doing like really weird events and stuff like that. But then in college, I did some really weird jobs, mainly because you're just like, well, I need some money. And uh, all those really weird work study jobs that get pushed out to college students who will do anything. So I, um, at one point I worked for the Smithsonian for about two years. I was going to school in Washington, DC, and I saw an ad for a work study position at the air and space museum. And I was like, this sounds great. It has nothing to do with my field of study, nothing to do with my life. But that sounds cool. And there was a 20% discount in the gift shops. And so I was like, this is like the perfect job. Yeah. And my official job title was explainer. And (laughs) and, uh, it was awesome. I would and and there's this one gallery where you can actually touch things. And it's kind of like it's supposed to teach people like how do airplanes fly and what are sonic booms and all this kind of stuff. And we would like uh, run these like contests with paper airplanes and give demonstrations on like the speed of sound and like we had this whip and we would crack the whip. It was like the coolest job ever. I had another job where um, it was like the weirdest, weirdest job, which looking back, 
like at the time I didn't, this is like totally the typical, like 22 year old gave no thought to how weird this job was and what they were asking me to do, which was file newspaper articles that my boss had caught cut out of the newspaper randomly. I would show up for like a four hour workday. There'd be a stack of newspaper articles. They'd have a word across the top and I would have to file these into random file cabinets in files that had the same, like if it said horses, I need to put it in the file that says horses. <laughs> if it says, you know, uh, I don't know, rainbows, it goes in the rainbow file. I'm pretty sure that company was like a CIA cover. <laughs> weird. Like looking back as like a full fledged adult now, I'm like, that was a really weird job, had no purpose. They were paying me a lot of money to sit and just like fill <laughs> office space and file <laughs> newspaper articles. That's like so weird. I worked for a police department for a couple years when I was pregnant. I have a hilarious story about being out on a, a, a patrol ride with a cop, like, um, because they were like, it's really great if everybody knows what police do. And I was like, sure, I'll go on a ride along. And I'm like crazy pregnant with my oldest. We showed up at this 911 call and I'm like waddling out of the car. Oh I'm a gosh. budget analyst, okay, Walking along with this cop. And we get to this house and the door is ripped off the front of the house. And the cop goes, oh my gosh, go hide behind the patrol car. And so I am crouched, a like seven month pregnant woman wearing like a ridiculous 2003 circa pregnancy shirt. Like it's like light pink with a little bow underneath my breast. Like, <laughs> Hiding behind at night, <laughs> crouched behind a cop car, like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is how my life ends. Like, this is, this is, <laughs> this is crazy. In the end, it didn't happen. And we got back in the car and we like drove off and we were like, wow, that was, that was exciting. You know, <laughs> that was fun. Um, yeah. And then, of course, I've been working for MOPS for a while, both on the volunteer side and the staff side. And of course, it's my favorite job. But um, yeah, so and we've lived all over the country and we've done a, kind of a lot of different things based just on the fact that my husband's in the military and um, that has required us to kind of be a little bit flexible <laughs> and do a lot of different things. And then when we moved down here to Texas in 2013, uh, when my husband uh, joined the NASA astronaut crew, uh, that, you know, changed life again. So here we are. So just exciting. like a lot of <laughs> not a lot, a lot of straight lines, a lot of like loops and turns and flips and uh, curly cues all over the place. And so one of your most recent adventures we get to read about in your new book called The Astronaut's Wife, and it comes out late February, which is awesome. And we're excited to read it. Mm -hmm. But tell us a little bit about your family and husband and this whole experience that you guys have navigated over the past year. Sure. I mean, um, so when you come down to NASA, uh, we came down here in 2013, you, tr you know, these, my husband trained for several years, you kind of wait your turn to fly. So we were here for, gosh, like five, six years before it was finally his turn. And so then in July of 2019, uh, he launched to the International Space Station for a nine month mission, which is a little bit longer. The average mission is about six months his was extended to nine. And in 2019, we were not yet launching from Florida. Like now we're launching uh, Crew Dragon, which is the SpaceX rocket from Florida, which is very exciting. Uh, but in 2019, we weren't doing that yet. So the only way, because of course, shuttle ended in 2011. So between 2011 and 2020, the only way to get astronauts to and from the International Space Station, regardless of what country you come from, is to hitch a ride on a Russian rocket. And the Russians launched their rockets from Kazakhstan. 
So uh, he did all of his training. So all astronauts learn Russian. They do a lot of training in Russia. And um, when it came time to launch, my kids and I had to fly to the other side of the globe and go to first Moscow for a while and then from Moscow on to Kazakhstan to watch this crazy, crazy launch in the middle of like nowhere. It's the most bizarre place, uh, certainly a place most people would never have a reason to go unless you're like a super crazy space enthusiast. You can you can pay money and, and go on space, you know, space like tourist trips. There are hundreds of tourists. When you get there, it's the craziest thing because the Baikonur Cosmodrome was built by the Soviets. This is the same space base that they launched Yuri Gagarin and Sputnik from. In fact, my, my husband launched from the same launch pad that they launched Sputnik wow. and Yuri Gagarin off of in 19, you know, 60, whatever that was. So it's like this historic place and it was built to be secret so it's in the middle of nowhere and yet you get there and these hundreds of these tourists who like show up in these buses and they're they're super stoked about everything about this and they're wearing like t-shirts with my husband's face on and the faces of his crewmates they're from all over the country um it's really not most of them aren't american i should say all over the uh, much more popular in in uh, Europe and and that kind of part of the world, um, but uh, it's just it's just crazy. And so it's this rocket base, which is very obviously technologically advanced, built in the middle of just this flat, you know, these des- this desert steppe where there are wild camels wandering around. <laughs> and then because it was built by the Soviets, and they didn't do a lot of updating. Like you'll be walking along and there's like a giant hammer and sickle on the, the wall. And wow. you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting. You, know, like you kind of forget. It's it's a very um, strange experience, I felt, as an American. I mean, just walking around the Kremlin as a tourist, like you're kind of, it's, it's just a really kind of out of body weird experience. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to explain to my kids that as like a child of the 80s and 90s, to be walking on the grounds of the Kremlin mm-hmm. is like the equivalent of you guys like walking around North Korea. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, I could never have imagined as a kid that, you know, I like certainly not as a military family that we would be just like walking around mm-hmm. <laughs> the Kremlin right. or, you know, just even in Moscow or Russia or Kazakhstan to begin with, like that's just wild. So it's a really crazy experience, but it was so cool. It's such a you know, unique culture and an experience that obviously, you know, not very many people get to experience. Terrifying, uh, but, you know, hmm. pretty, pretty incredible. And as awesome as it is to launch from U.S. soil, it was a pretty unique and awesome thing to be able to to go to Russia and Kazakhstan and do it that way. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the launch, Stacey, because, I mean, none of us have reference for that, right? So, <laughs> so you just mentioned it was terrifying, but I'm so curious. Like, tell us a little bit about the launch. Yeah. Um, so you said you're there with your kids. Tell us a little bit about that. And then what happens? So then they're launched and right. you're standing there. <laughs> so tell us a little yes. bit about what that's all like. So it is kind of funny. I mean, you're um, in this, you know, you kind of drive across these old bumpy Soviet roads and you get to this big field and there's all these um, space tourists milling about and everybody's speaking different languages. And something like I said, are wearing shirts with all these crazy things on it. And they don't know that you're the family. And um, so you kind of are kind of trying to find a quiet space. I have an escort with me and they took uh, my kids and I kind of this area, but there's also like foreign press. And so when we found this spot, it was this surreal moment where it was getting dark. The launch was um, just after sunset. So that was pretty cool. 
uh, and we're standing there. There's no lights. There's no countdown clock. It's like literally it feels like you're standing in the middle of a field. And yet next to me is like this big gaggle of foreign press and they're all speaking different languages into these cameras and microphones. And then a little bit farther down are like all these space tourists. And it feels like a movie, you know, like, mm. uh, like Armageddon or something, you know, like there's all these different languages and all these people talking. And, uh, and then you're just watching your phone or you're looking at your watch and you just know that at exactly, you know, nine twenty eight, this locket, this rocket is going to launch. And, um, it's crazy because you're standing there with your kids and you want to be strong for them. You don't want to scare them, obviously. I had given them a little heads up that, you know, this is an emotional event. They get a little bit, uh, you know, they're kind of so used to the whole like space thing. Sometimes they forget how emotional or other people who aren't in this all the time. And um, so I'd warn them, you know, this is this is a little bit of an emotional event. You may see people cry. I might cry. My in-laws were there. My mom was with me. We had some friends with us. I was like, they might cry. Um, and it's okay. Like, don't be scared. Don't be scared because I thought they probably, I mean, luckily in their life, they have not seen adults cry very much. And so I didn't want them to be scared any more than they have to be. Um, and then it's just this countdown kind of just standing there looking at your watch and you just know what makes it so terrifying is that, you know, at the end of that, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be tragic mm -hmm. and you're going to mm -hmm. be experiencing it in real time with all these people. And like, you need to be, and also your children, right? So like either way it goes kind of like you got to mentally prepare to emotionally buffer yourself so that you can also be like the strong mom if it goes sideways <laughs> or also not be like just this puddle even if it goes really really well and and there's so there's an unknown of the launch itself and like spoiler it went well <laughs> so it's okay mm -hmm. um but there's the fear of like what happens next right because i don't i've never parent like co-parented with someone who is uh in space and communication isn't exactly the same and and you just don't know like our kids were two teenagers two tweens it's, it's a hard parenting season, no matter what. And so like, what does this mean for their relationship with their dad? What does this mean for my relationship with my husband? Like, what if something happens while well, he's gone? He obviously can't come home. So it's going to be on me to handle everything. And, and, you know, the emotional burden of owns of single parenting and um, added with us the intrinsic danger of what he's doing is scary. <laughs> really scary. And if you're not kind of like ready to, you know, face those fears, it can be overwhelming and just, you can just want to throw up your hands and sink to the ground and, you know, crawl into bed and never come out again <laughs> because it's just so much. Um, but it was, you know, when it was all said and done, it was great. We had an amazing support team with us. Um, it was successful and, um, yeah, so it's like the rocket launches. We you we watch it. I mean, it is uh, in in Florida. The closest you can get to a rocket launch is about ten miles. That's about the closest like regular public viewing area is about ten miles. And even then, you'll like feel it in, in Kazakhstan. You're a mile away. Oh so, my gosh! A little bit different. Little wow. different safety standards. Yeah. So that just so it just means like when the when the what we could see the the flames kind of as the engine was lit. 
but we could feel it before you could hear it. And, uh, and it was this weird, like, you know, the ground is like rumbling and you felt it in your feet and then it kind of rolled up your body and then the roar like hit you and it's, it was just so loud and so bright. And, you know, so there's the emotional fear, but there's also kind of like this awe of this incredible machine that humankind has built that is so like you feel the power of it, like a monster at that moment as it's like rising off the ground and you're, it's so bright that your eyes are kind of like you know, getting splotchy and, um, and you just stand there in the dark. And of course the tourists are like going berserko down the other end of the field. Cause this is like what they've paid all their money for. They're like, yes, this is it. You know? Uh, but for the family members, it's different because you know that your loved one is sitting on the top of that explosive rocket and that it takes about nine minutes before you are fully out of the woods. Well, I mean, before the, I should say the fuel is expended, then you're in space. So it's not like, but relatively like all the explosives are gone. Uh, and then they're in orbit, you know, it takes about nine minutes to get all those stages off. And, um, and then it's like, you just watch it until it just gets farther and farther and farther away until it's like this little dot. And then, <laughs> and, then and then it's like, okay, so are we done here? Okay. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, exactly. like the weird, like, yeah. Yeah, it yeah. feels like there should be like, that, that's when the credits would roll. Right. Like this was a right. movie, right? But like in real life, everybody's like, okay, okay, does anybody remember where we parked the van? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and then you kind of like turn around and, and go back, like go on to the next, you know? And, and that is so typical of the astronaut family experience, like these surreal moments of just like crazy, bizarre things that you can't believe you're witnessing or experiencing in life. And then an hour later, you are taking the trash out or making dinner or helping with homework. It's just like these little moments in the midst of a regular mundane family life. I have so many logistical questions, but first of <laughs> all, before the logistical questions, what kind of conversations did you and Drew have like the week before? Are Do you like dive deep and you're like, okay, if this goes south, do you have those really like gut-wrenching yes. conversations? Yes. And I will say our military experience helped us with that. I mean, that's something that a lot of people who have never had to have these converse, kind of conversations can feel very morbid, like, or, you know, like kind of like dark humor, you know, like, but the reality is that the military prepares you to have hard conversations because it's, it's easier to have hard conversations than what you will face if you don't have those hard conversations. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we've had those conversations about literally writing out all of um, who, which child would get different items if he didn't make it home, you know, or, um, if something happened to him and something happened to me, you know, where would, where would mm -hmm. our children go mm -hmm. and making sure, you know, where all the insurance policies are and where those documents are and, um, and having some hard conversations just about kind of life plans and desires and where you would want to be buried. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, those are depressing, <laughs> but, mm -hmm. um, in the end, you feel better knowing that you have had those hard conversations. So we had done that before and we did it again before the launch. And um, and also, I think just some conversations about being open to change expectation. Like we don't know what we're getting into. And so we may say we want to talk every day, but maybe we find out when you get there, that's not a good idea. Like, so it's like the big things and also some little things just like, are we what's going to be our plan for, um, our parenting style when you're gone? Like I did not want Drew to be, 
this like orbiting, you know, backseat parent, you know, like second guessing my decisions or his time with the kids is so limited. I did not want him to use that to like, you know, lecture them about homework or choices or whatever. Like I wanted it to be positive. Um, so we had to make some decisions even just about what was, what was that going to look like while he was gone. Right. So he was gone for nine months. I'm curious, yeah. what were some of the surprises in that? So you've done all the planning. You've tried to have all the hard conversations. There's no way you can have them all. So what right. are some of the things that surprised you? Maybe the way your kids were or Drew or you, what, what surprised you about the whole experience? I think we were both surprised at how kind of lackadaisical our kids were about the whole thing. <laughs> like, like, cool, they would, yeah. like we were like once a week, we get a video chat and we get about one hour and it's scheduled because I got a line, you know, when the satellites are lined up and there's only so much bandwidth. And so you're scheduling it with the other crew members who want to talk to their families. So we get about an hour and we through a lot of trial and error, mostly error of figuring out what is what's going to work best because it's like an iPad. It's almost like it's like a FaceTime call, really. Mm-hmm. And um, except we're here and he'd be like floating, whatever. Uh, we learned doing it all together. Not a good idea. Like nobody talks and everybody shoves each other and it's just a bad <laughs> It's not going to work. So we would pass it like every kid would get 10 minutes. And I, you know, you kind of in your mind, like fantasy, like, well, they're going to sit and they're going to talk about like life and goals. And it's like, more like dinner. You know, yeah. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah. They think their dad is. I don't, I don't know. You just, you just think it's going to be different. And in the end, it's like a kid shoving a cat up to the video screen <laughs> yeah. for eight of the 10 minutes, you know, or like literally I remember at one point, cause I would like, I would get the last like 17 minutes. I'd like take more than my share of time. And I'd be like, Oh, what did you talk about with these kids? And at one point it was like, well, pretty much she just propped the iPad up and like reorganized a drawer while I (laughs) watched her. (laughs) You're like, okay, you didn't ask like, like he's there like literally doing like somersaults in zero gravity. And she's like, listen, this sock drawer is not going to reorganize itself. (laughs) You know, (laughs) so, you know, it's like, okay, so that was interesting. And at the same time, it's good. I think in 20 years, they'll look back and like, you know, yeah, like totally. be like, I can't believe I was organizing my sock drawer instead of asking him questions. But at the same time, we're glad it's not like dominating their life mm-hmm. as as mm-hmm. defining their life. And we want them to be kids and have kid experiences that are appropriate for their age and not be defined by their parents or their parents' jobs or whatever. So that's, that's good. But that was <laughs> sometimes you're like, hey, this is the time to get excited. Like this is mm-hmm. now's the time to tell me this is awesome. That would be <laughs> that would be great. But okay, fine. Go have more cereal, I guess. <laughs> yeah, like, I don't know. A little shock and awe wouldn't yeah, hurt anybody right, at this point. Right. That's right. That's right. I also it's funny when uh, Drew wanted to call every night, which was a surprise. Uh, I thought he. I don't know. <laughs> I did not expect that. And the problem with that is is that. Um, their schedule is like super like regimented, like literally they get up and they have a, a schedule on the computer in five minute increments. And there's this red line that moves of like the real time line moves. And so you always know, like you're behind already pretty much wow. as soon as you get up. And so it's stressful and their, their time there was very busy, jam packed. And so the, really the best time, really only time where he could call me was right before bed which was about 9 to 10 p.m., which sounds good, except that the space station is on Greenwich Mean Time. And so 9 to 10 for them 
falls at the worst time for like any mom on the entire planet, the four to 5 p.m. window where it's like drop-offs, pickups, uh, dinner prep, homework help, you know, like all the things like that's like the worst hour of the day. And my phone would ring and I had it saved like as Drew on Space Station and I had like, you know, a little jingle tied just for that. And sometimes you're like, oh boy. <laughs> Smiles up, everybody. Yeah. Look yeah. alive. It's but it's true. And um, I would be like, oh, listen. I've got I, a sock drawer to organize just, here, yeah, Drew. Because like, you can't not answer a call from space. Right. It's like you're like, by law, I think you have to answer the phone. And um, so, but sometimes I'd be like, Okay, yeah, listen, listen, I love you. I'm proud of you. I respect you. Now is not a good time. Um, I, um, like, someone just dropped an entire bag of shredded cheese on the ground, and, like, I got to send a kid to practice, and also, like, something's on fire. So I got to go. Maybe you could call a friend tonight instead. <laughs> like maybe. And, you know, and that was even an adjustment. Like, I think most of the time, I am Drew's primary person cheerleader great like that's how it should be and he is my primary companion which is great that's how it should be in that season he could not be my companion he just was not around so I needed to find another person to fill that void in a healthy (laughs) appropriate way and then um and I could not be like there were days that between 4 and 5 30 p.m I cannot be your cheerleader like good listener (laughs) you know all those things And so I need you to call someone else who can, (laughs) and that might be your mom or a friend. And the cool thing about it, of course, is that like, uh, if he called somebody like on their birthday or, um, or just to say hello, and he had this long spreadsheet of phone numbers that we'd gathered for him, of course, they like lost their minds when, when, you know, they're like, Hey, you know, he would say like, hi, it's Drew calling from space. And they're like, what? (laughs) And that's cool. Like that was really great. That was kind Mm -hmm. of like the power of community in a different way than Mm -hmm. we'd experienced before. Mm -hmm. Cause they're so, they're so happy and they brought so much energy that I just could not bring on a daily basis Mm -hmm. uh, to fill him up. And I want people to know that, you know, they, people love him and are thinking of him and are proud of him. And the reality is some days that just wasn't me and that's Mm -hmm. okay. You know, um, so that, yeah, so that, that was tough, that a little bit more of a, like the communication balance was a little bit more of a challenge. And I think we probably would have anticipated if you'd asked That's us. That's gotta be before. so normalizing though, Stacey, for like our military spouses who are listening because, um, you know, so much weight is put on that, that phone call. Um, yeah. as a former military spouse, I understand that. And yet life is still happening on right. both ends of that phone call. And so it can be difficult because um, you're trying to reorganize your life with that person gone and get your support system and keep moving on. And so I, I understand that dilemma. And I think it's just got to be real normalizing to the people that are listening who are like, yeah, some days this is not, this is an inconvenience and I feel bad about that. Right. But it's true. It's yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. It's I, so I, terrible, I but it's true. That. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you mentioned your like Drew can't be your primary support during this time. You can't be his primary support. But what did that look like for you, like gaining support around you? Um, and really, I think this could speak to moms, certainly moms that are in the military community, but just moms that are needing support for any number of different reasons um, are facing a new normal in their marriage or something like that. Like what did support look like? 
Yeah, I found that there was no singular one person or two people who could fill every gap of like Mm. friendship or support or connection with me. And I think that's something that, you know, everybody likes to think they're going to have this like one bestie who can going to be like everything for them. And maybe you have like the fantasy of like the perfect husband. Who's that for you? And also then you also have this like perfect best friend over here between the two of them, like (laughs) every, all emotional needs are filled. And the reality is that's just like a fantasy. Mm. And so I found I had to get real comfortable with being vulnerable, which I think most moms do like in general, but uh, I'm really used to just like kicking butt and taking names and not needing help and kind of feeling really good about that. And this season was like, I just couldn't do it. You know, I, Mm. um, there was just, like you said, so much life going on that the train is leaving the station, whether I'm on it or not, but like somebody has got to help me with all these things. And so I have, I have no option, but I must ask for help. And when people offer it, I need to be humble enough to, to take it. Cause I think that's the other half of the people are like, well, I don't have a problem like asking for help. But then when someone shows up with like the unsolicited offer of help, they have a hard time except. And I got to the point where I was like, yeah, I'll take it all. Like I will take whatever help you need. I'd be like, Hey, are you interested in carpooling for this um, volleyball practice or team? And by by um, carpooling, I actually mean you just take my child with you. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And they're like, yeah, you know, sure. Because again, it's like you're so nervous about the ask. And the reality is most people, especially if they know that you are in an unusual or a difficult season, mm-hmm. they, they are thrilled to be asked. It's just, it's just our own like hesitancy to ask. And so I had to get over that. Um, Dealing with loneliness was a real issue. And I think that doesn't always matter if you are the only adult in your house or not. Um, You know, you can feel very lonely in a room full of people, um, married, not married, whatever. Uh, It's, um, and so I found I needed to be proactive about like pursuing good conversation and like authentic and vulnerable conversation with a couple trusted people, not a ton of people, but just a couple really good friends. Um, I felt very lonely when I didn't have someone to tell like stupid stuff to, like there was a million, like if I had something serious going on, I could call my mom or my mother-in-law or like, there's plenty of people who you, you think of, if I'm in crisis, I can, I can call them and we can work this out. But like the stupid stuff, like do you think this mole looks weird on my neck? (laughs) (laughs) Or like, did you, have you been to that new coffee place? Like, why would they name it that? That's such a bad name. You know, like you just want someone to hear these thoughts Mm. and when you don't have anyone to share them with you, you feel lonely. And so Mm. for several months, I really kind of was like, how do I do do this? Like, how do I share these thoughts with someone without this being weird. And then I discovered the Marco Polo app <laughs> and, uh, yes. like two friends and I just started Marco Poloing the crap out of each other. And, um, yeah. and it was like stupid stuff. Like I'd listen while I was brushing my teeth and it was just like a way to get all those little thoughts out. 
And then I started texting people while I was watching television. And because uh, I have friends who like to watch the same shows. <laughs> and because and sometimes also it felt like I love watching television. And uh, but sometimes it was like, oh, I have so many thoughts about what I'm watching right now. And I have nobody to tell this to. Like, mm-hmm. once again, I'm talking to myself. I'm like, this is crazy. I cannot keep these thoughts inside myself. So I would text friends who I knew were watching those programs. And really, when it came down to it, it was like me proactively to build connections um because a lot of you know i did have friends who want to connect with people or you know people have lives and they don't always think of it even though they like it when you do it and so it's kind of like we're all waiting around for someone else to make the first move and this season forced me to make the first move and not assume that i'm inconveniencing someone or that they don't want to hear from me like we assume the negative instead 99 percent of the time people are thrilled to hear from you or at least neutral. (laughs) (laughs) And and they'd be like, why are you sending me all your thoughts about Tiger King? I don't like, this is weird, but I'm like, here they come. (laughs) They're coming. (laughs) I got to tell somebody how weird the show is. You're the lucky person. Got a lot of thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of thoughts about this. It was, it was the early stages of the pandemic, you know, so we were all, we were all working through some. Yeah. Yeah. So I love that distinction between you have someone, I think we miss this with loneliness. Like this is new to me. I think it's really powerful that often we think we're lonely because we don't have someone to tell the serious stuff to, but it's the daily light stuff that we don't have someone to share with the little jokes and the little funny moments that can really breed loneliness. I think that's, I think that's really helpful observation. Yeah. That's for me, that's when I felt the loneliness, the deepest was at night when normally there would be, you know, you're like in the bathroom and you're brushing your teeth and you're just kind of like moving around each other and just sharing these like mm-hmm. random, you know, things. And it's like, it's not a conversation. It's just you, both of you kind of like lobbing singular <laughs> phrases and thoughts at each other. But somehow it like gets all the thoughts out of your heads. So then you can like rest. Mm-hmm. And at night I would be laying there like 50 random thoughts just tumbling because they had no ear to land in that day. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. And so that's that, that that companionship, I think, was what was missing. And and I did have some good friends who I think over time also got better about just offering to come over or just hang out like with no agenda, you know, and just being like, hey, you want to come over or I'd invite myself over when I started to feel that way, uh, because, it's, you know, it's not a good feeling mm-hmm. <laughs> to feel lonely. And when you feel lonely and you're only hearing your own voice in your head, like that's not a good place because often your own voice is telling you some things that aren't really true. Mm -hmm. And so it's nice to have some people who can be like, yeah, that's weird. And that's not true. (laughs) (laughs) And let's watch Tiger King. Right. Totally. Yeah. No, like, yeah. Like, no, those, those aren't, those pants are not a good choice. Don't buy those pants. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Okay. So what was it like when Drew came home? Because now you have to retransition, right? And like integrate yes. him back into the every your everyday life again. And I know you were worried about your skincare routine suffering. I was. Okay, yeah. so here's the deal, you guys. Like <laughs> the one benefit, what not say one, there's many benefits, but one big one for me about being the only adult in my house was that I took over the bathroom and I came up with this like elaborate nighttime skincare routine that I could never do (laughs) if there was another person who I had to justify all like 
I, I, I can't even imagine what that would look like if there was another person witnessing all the ridiculousness that I was doing every night between the gazing, <laughs> my face mask, the, yeah, I mean, just all the things was ridiculous. And, um, but you make the most of it, right? You take, make, make That's lemonade. Right. And I really enjoyed the full use of my bathroom. It was like my manifest destiny. It was like all mine. <laughs> um, but yeah, so right about maybe, only about less than two months before Drew came home is when the pandemic really got serious. Like, I mean, if you remember, it was like these low rumblings and then all of a sudden the airports closed and things got real. And it was like, whoa. So he's calling from space and is like, because they can watch the news. Um, so he was like, we're we're seeing a lot of crazy things on the news up here. Like, what is happening? And I would be like, oh my gosh, you know, and I'd give him the newest update. Like, yeah, like this, you know, these schools closed or the stores closed or I saw a lady like dressed in head to toe trash bags at the grocery <laughs> store like things are in like crazy down here and then um you know NASA was trying to figure out like what is this return going to look like they've never brought a crew home in the mm-hmm. in a pandemic before and um so they were trying to figure things out and so we ended up having to quarantine in order to be able to see him when he landed and so he landed, uh, they land back in Kazakhstan, back to the U.S., like in about 24 hours. Now, his journey was a little bit crazy town because of the COVID craziness, like all these airports and all these restrictions had changed even just how to get a plane back to the U.S. And all these <laughs> airports were closed and all these small countries. It was crazy. So when he finally got home, we did a few days. He had to quarantine for a few days uh, on NASA property, but then he came home and it was weird because pretty much he had the nine months away and he'd, he'd actually been gone for 10 months because for a month prior to the launch, he had to quarantine before the launch or back when it was, that was just like a cute, fun little quaint word that we used. <laughs> it didn't mean everything it means now. So he'd been gone for 10 months. So like totally living parallel, but separate lives for 10 months. And then he came back into the house with all of us. So he was on station, you know, nine months with in total, like the entire nine months that he was up there, uh, only like about, I think it's maybe 11 other people that he came in contact with over nine months, right? And when he left, there were five of them. He had five crewmates on board with him. So we was like, the irony is not lost on us that like he left station where he was isolated and kind of, you know, stuck in a small enclosed space with five professional crewmates. And then he came home and was stuck in a small space with five amateur, not nearly as considerate crewmates <laughs> uh, because all my kids were home with us and we hadn't lived together for 10 months. And um, I would not recommend it for most marriages. I will <laughs> it was like... Just figuring things out, you know. There's the the natural reintegration that we had we had done before with like military deployments. But again, our kids were younger, and reintegration is hard when you've got teenagers because there's a lot of like just emotions and hormones and attitudes flying mm-hmm. around and stuff. So it was like, again, you don't want to be the bad guy who's come home and like clamping down on everything. And I'm kind of like. I've set up these routines and I don't want to be judged for the things that I've let go the entire, you know, time he's been gone. And so it was crazy because we really were trapped in the house, um, zero to 60 in terms of the amount of time that we were together, like all, all the time, 
<laughs> all the time. And he didn't have a lot to do. So it was kind of like he's wandering around like, so what's happening? What's happening in here? And we're like, uh, life, life's happening in here. Do you have like something you can be doing? Like, I'm a little, like, it's like over my shoulder, you know, like, like a lot of people experience when people's offices close and you're trapped mm-hmm. in your house with your spouse and like yeah. hearing your spouse have those conversations that you've using language you've never heard them use before. Like, we're going to circle back on that. You're like, I've never heard you. You've never circled back on anything in your life. What are you, talking about? you know, like. So it was, you know, it was just a, a weird, weird thing. And um, the, the physical recovery is relatively quick. Um, I think the weirdest part for him and for us was all the, the normal activities that they do that help them kind of feel like a part of the world again. Like normally in non-restricted times, there would be some kind of like cocktail parties and um, different events where they share about their experiences. There'd be some travel, um, you know, there'd be all these different appointments and things they have to go to medical appointments and all kinds of stuff. And all those things got canceled. And so it's like, he came home and it was like, and it wasn't even, you know, it wasn't this big celebration kind of like it normally is. It was like, we smuggled him back into the country, you know? And then it was like, and then he was just home and nobody could come see him. His family couldn't come see him, like his, you know, like mm. his parents. Um, our neighbors couldn't see him, like you know, it was so. It was like he was home, but like secretively, <laughs> it was mm. very strange, and um, so a little bit anticlimactic in that way. Um, mm. So that was, you know, there's good and bad because some of that stuff, you know, like whatever that whatever that was just. Who wants to sit through another cocktail party? But at the same time, you know, you want people to feel appreciated and that the community is proud of them mm-hmm. and that people acknowledge what they've done. And um, it's too bad because I think the pandemic has taken that away from a lot of people in a lot of things, mm. you know, parties and weddings and celebrations. And I think that's what would be something that people have to kind of will work through for a long time. But mm. he's over it. <laughs> but but it was a weird it was a weird thing. So good. Oh, my gosh. Super fascinating, Stacey. Everybody go pick up The Astronaut's Wife. And you can pre-order on Amazon right now, right? You can pre-order anywhere you like to pre-order books. Fantastic. Mm, Can't wait. Seriously. Stacey, thanks so much. Always so fun to talk to you. Hey, friends, thank you for joining us for Moms Unscripted, a production of Mops International. A quick reminder that opinions discussed are solely the opinions of the individuals and do not necessarily represent the organization. For more information on today's episode, please visit mops.org backslash Moms Unscripted podcast for show notes. And join us again next week for another unscripted conversation around the Mops table.